You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. You all know or have heard the phrase, faith without works is dead. Do you know who said that? James. Yeah, the half-brother of Jesus. So what does it mean? Faith without works is dead. Was James meaning that our works, our deeds save us? Of course not, because we know the Bible teaches that our works are as filthy rags. Yeah. No, James was implying that our works give evidence for salvation. It could be said this way, works are not the cause of salvation, works are the evidence of salvation. We've said it many times, real saving faith true faith in Jesus always results in good works. In fact, James was simply parroting what his brother Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, you will know them by the fruit works they do, they bear. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That means you do something. You don't just say you believe, you actually put your your belief to action. Otherwise, it's dead. Over the last two weeks, we've been studying in Hebrews 11 about faith. Faith. Abel obeyed God, and he did something with his faith. He brought the acceptable sacrifice. Enoch walked with God, and he did that by faith, and he walked right into heaven. We saw that last week. So it is true. Faith without works is dead because it reveals that there has never been a transformation by God. That's what it means to be saved, folks. We are born again. When you give your life to Jesus, you change on the inside out. You are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You become brand new. The old passes away, all things become new. Thus, our works characterize and give evidence of our obedience to God. In other words, unseen faith will become seen by the works in our lives, giving evidence that we've been changed by Jesus. When you invite Jesus into your life by faith and you choose to trust Him, does He change you? Yes. And so if there's been no change, that's a problem. Faith without works is dead. You say, Pastor Kevin, this is Christianity 101. It is, and I get that. But here's what we need to be reminded of. I believe the Apostle Paul, in writing to these first century, now Christians, the majority of them, he's having to explain some things to them that was all brand new to them. Think about that. For these Jews who have given their life to Christ, they are the first in their family to have ever done so, the majority of them. They literally are first generation Christians. I mean, like you've heard it said like before, like, well, that guy went to college. He was the first of his family ever go to college. You've heard that? Well, it's the same way. That's the first of of the family that's ever trusted Christ. There, there, there is no faith of a grandma or a grandpa or great-great-grandpa. There, it, 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 this is new. It's all new. At best, we're talking about maybe second-generation Christians for some, but the majority are first-generation Christians. So what does this mean? It means for all their lives, they've, they've expected somebody else to do this deal for them. They've come to the temple, dragging a lamb. They hand off the lamb to a Levite or a priest of some sort that's ultimately one day a year the high priest takes the blood of a lamb goes into the Holy of Holies for them the lamb is you know slaughtered for them but they don't have to do anything they're not exhibiting any faith in this but what Paul has been saying for 10 chapters is the fact that no longer do you have to do that 
You, you don't have to do anything anymore. All you got to do now is what? Believe. Have faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus. Have faith. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust Him with your life? That whatever He tells you to do, you'll do it? Faith. Paul is describing faith here. Ten chapters, and we get to chapter 11. And what happens now is just this machine gun type, bang, 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 just popping off these great leaders of faith. Forty verses, chapter 11, where Paul is reminding these first century believers that the way to God is through faith. Faith. Paul said in verse chapter 10, he said, The just shall live by faith. Today we get another example of faith, one of my favorites, Noah. The man who built the ark. The man from whom all humanity traces back their ancestry. You know, we trace back our ancestry all the way back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You understand that? I mean, ultimately we can to Adam and Eve, but after the flood, it's just Shem, Ham, and Japheth having kids, right? Interestingly, that was 4,400 years ago. And the flood happened exactly 1,656 years into human existence based on the genealogy in Genesis. 1,656 years into human existence, it stops. Except for one man and his family. You know, last week I, I made the almost joke that we should have been talking about Noah last week. You remember what was happening last week? Oh, my word. Nine inches of rain? I mean, I thought I saw animals walking two by two, right? Is the ark revisited? And I said, well, you know, maybe I should have taught Noah last week. But, but here we are, and, and as I read this week, I was reminded of something, and I was like, oh, my goodness. What is today? You say, son, oh, yeah, Father's Day. Watch this now. Have you made your way there? Hebrews 11, look at verse 7. Th there's something here that I, just, I have just glossed over in, in my reading of, of the Bible. Watch verse 7. By faith, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, there's the faith part, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of the world. No? <gasps> That's the part I missed. He constructed an ark for what? The saving of his household. Here we are, dads, grandpa, papa, papa, on Father's Day. And we're talking about a man whose priority was to build a boat to save his family from judgment. Oh, there was room. We'll get into this in a little bit. There's plenty of room on that ark for more people. But Noah's goal was, catch it again there, see it? For the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world. By what? Building that ark. And became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. Faith. Now what we saw there in verse 7 is something we've seen before. That word unseen in verse 7 should remind us and point us back to the beginning of the chapter. Look back in verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. Faith is believing even when you can't see it. Noah showed faith because he believed God about an event that he had never seen happen before. In fact, Noah had never seen it rain before. Noah, I want you to build an ark. What's an ark, Lord? It's a boat. A boat? Scholars tell us basically Noah was living in a desert. Uh, and it's going to rain, Noah. What's rain? Liquid falling from the sky. Never seen it happen. You say, well, how in the world were things watered? Well, the Bible tells us. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no man to work the ground, and a mist, there it is, was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. Kind of funny to think about, but God had the first ground soakers. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't use ground soakers because I'm too cheap to even buy those things to, you know, soak my ground. I just use a five-gallon bucket to water my tomatoes. But uh, God had basically ground soakers. That's what he made. Not literally, but you get the idea. Water came up from the ground and watered the earth. You say, what's your point? Noah had never seen it rain. That's the point. There had never been enough water to see a flood. And God tells him to build this boat. A big boat, 450 feet long. <clears throat> That's a football field and a half. It's massive, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. Look at this ceiling. That's a 22-foot ceiling. Double that. Put three decks in it. It's amazing. What did Noah do? He built it. I would have had a question or two, wouldn't you? Do you see any equivocation? There is no equivocation. If you go back to Genesis 6 and you begin to read, there's no equivocation there whatsoever. God warned Noah that he was going to destroy the earth. And he said, build this boat and get your family in it and be spared. And Noah took God at his word. Look at verse 7 again. Hebrews eleven seven. 7. Now watch this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, never seen it rain, watch this next phrase, in reverent fear, constructed the ark for the saving of his household. Reverent fear. You know, church, I'm afraid we have lost a reverent fear of God today. Today, God is seen as the man upstairs or some kind of grandpa in the sky. Just tickled pink that we throw a few random prayers his way. Church, God is God. He spoke everything into existence. He didn't make anything. He just said it. He is majestic and more powerful than anything we can imagine. And yet he's numbered the hairs on our head and comes to us as our good, good father that we were singing about. What does that mean? Reverent fear? Are we to be afraid of God? Like a little child that's afraid of the monster in the closet or the monster under the bed. Daddy, would you check under my bed? I'm afraid there's a monster. No, not that way. The reverent fear here is describing honor and respect. Like you would honor and respect a dignitary if they were in your presence. A president of a country. Or like this. What if sitting right here on the front row, right in front of the Starbuck family, was Franklin Graham? Franklin, let's say, was up in Boone. He was heading down to Wilkesboro, and, and he's, he's got some place he's got to go fly out in, a, in, in just a little bit. And, and, and he just wanted to take time, and he saw the sign and said, hey, I'm going to this church today. And he just walked in, I mean, like right now. Some of you, is he here? No, he's not here. But what if he did? What if the curtain, the curtain parted right then, and Franklin Graham walked in and sat down right in front of you, Chad? I think I would straighten up, and I, would, I, I know I would, as I would. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, Franklin Graham's sitting right there. I mean, wouldn't you feel different? That's the point. There's a dignity. There's a respect. I mean, I know Franklin Graham puts his pants on one, time, one leg at a time like I do, like you, right? He's just a man. But, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a respect and an honor. And this is how Noah treated God. God said to do it. And Noah, in respect and honor, did it. I think I'd have a bit of fear and trepidation if God told me that my entire family is going to be destroyed if I didn't do what he said to do, wouldn't you? Noah believed that judgment was coming, even though he had never seen what God had told him to do. 
Is that you today? Is God asking you to do something in your life that you've never done before? So often he does that, doesn't he? It's the next big thing. You look back, you look back at your life. Look back at all the things that the Lord has asked you to do. And, and, and let me tell you something. Isn't it true that the majority of the time when, when you see that it's actually God that's, that's doing the work, that it's been something that's pretty much crazy, that everybody would say, okay, you've lost your mind. Just like they were saying to Noah. He's building a boat out in the middle of the desert. And people are coming up to him and going, Noah, what you building? A boat. A boat, a boat. I've heard, like one of those things that floats. I've, we've heard about those things. Really? Here? Yeah. And then as the decades go by, the thing starts going up. I mean, it's massive. 450 feet. That's from here to the end of the cemetery out here. And they go, I think Noah's been in the sun a little too long. His brains are baked. Isn't that how it often seems when God asks us to do something? By faith, nobody understands it. Noah, by faith, built that boat. He did it in reverential fear. Hey, church, do you know when I believe that Noah showed the greatest act of faith? When he picked up the axe for the first time. Miss Noette said, Noah, where are you going? He picks up the axe. Baby, I'm going to go do what he said to do. Noah walks out into the forest. Here goes. I believe that was the greatest act of faith. It wasn't waiting on the animals to come. It wasn't getting in the ark. It, wasn't, it was the first step. And isn't that the greatest act of faith? Is making that first step. The first step. And the rest follow. Are you there? Are, are you stuck trying to decide if you're going to swing the axe? He swung that axe. He chopped down that first tree. And he chopped down trees for decades. Have you thought about that, how mundane that is? He's a logger. He's logging for decades. I mean, you think about Noah's life. You know how long he lived? Anybody know? 950 years, just 19 years short of Methuselah. 950 years. And so that, that time of the ark deal was about a year out of that 950. That's just a speck. Do the math on that. Do that as a percentage, one divided by 950. It's nothing. What else did Noah do in his life? Tell me. Huh? He got drunk after he got off the ark. Outside of that, what did he do? Nothing but chop wood and build. Pretty mundane, huh? Because you came in here today and thought, man, I ain't, I ain't a Noah. I'm no Noah. I get that. Can you swing an axe? That's what Noah did. My grandpa told me years ago when I was a boy, he said, son, if you get up every day and throw a pebble into a pile, eventually you have a mountain. Might it be the monumental thing is the accumulation of the little things in our lives that add up to the monumental? Just do what God's called you to do. Change the diapers. Load the dishwasher. Teach the class. Get on the forklift. Make the spreadsheet. Cut the grass. Pick up the cleaning. It's the accumulation. The steady day-by-day -day obedience that makes the monumental. I think of my grandmother, Clara. Clara, whom we named our Clara after. Grandma, Mama, as I called her, never graduated from high school. Clara McNeil never learned to drive a car. She was the mother of eight children, my mom being the youngest. She never saw the ocean until she was an adult. But she did a monumental job 
of pouring into her family and into her grandchildren. Me and my sister Kim rode the school bus to Grandma and Grandpa's house after school, and she fed us mayonnaise sandwiches, Duke's mayonnaise, mind you. She gave us a little cup of grape Kool-Aid and a stick of spearmint chewing gum, Wrigley's. She used her Social Security check to do that. My grandma was Noah swinging the axe. She cooked hundreds of meals. She washed clothes at the creek before there was a washing machine. She milked cows, slopped hogs. My grandma made quilts and afghans. And she would cover me and my sister up on the couch with one of those quilts. I have one of those quilts. It's one of those patchwork square quilts. It was actually upstairs, and the grandkids had come to the house. And somehow, one of them found it and pulled it out, and I'm like, oh. I'm like, you ever just been transported back to like when you were like six years old? I mean, I was just there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like, y'all be careful with that. So I covered them up. And I did what Grandma did for me and Kim. She would sing us to sleep. She would sing her three favorites were at the cross, bringing in the sheaves, which I used to think was bringing in the sheeps, <laughs> and showers of blessing. Showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. You know that? Mercy drops round us. Oh, drops. Rain are falling, but for the showers we plead. Clara was Noah for me. She poured into my life. My sister, she swung the axe. And that's what many of you are doing today. You might look at your life and you say, my life is nothing. I'll never be a Noah. Well, Noah did nothing but just do the mundane. It was, I mean, he built this boat. God told him how to build it. God did the work. Listen, just swing the axe. Change the diapers. Go get the groceries. Cut the grass. Pour into the life of the people around you. Just swing the axe. And don't believe the lies of Satan that says that your life is nothing because you haven't done something monumental. I'll tell you, the monumental is the accumulation of the little things. It's the small pebbles in a pile that eventually make the mountain. Swing the axe. Noah believed. He believed that judgment was coming, and he was like Enoch in that. Remember, last week we talked about Enoch. Remember Enoch. He's the seventh from Adam. And what did he preach? Judgment was coming. He's there right around 3000 B.C. on that timeline. Enoch, get this, was the great-great-grandfather of Noah. How about that? So Enoch warned of a future judgment. That was the flood coming. And 500 years later, Noah was still doing the same thing. Church, might I remind us that we must lovingly warn others that there is a judgment coming? Did you hear me? We must lovingly warn people that a judgment is coming. What did we learn last week about Enoch? What happened to Enoch? He literally was the first example of the rapture. He was taken right off the earth. He didn't die. One day it's going to happen, people. It could happen today. The Lord Jesus comes back and we meet him in the air. We're, we're harpazo. We're snatched off this earth. The children of God. That's the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4. And then what happens? Judgment on this earth. Seven years of it. Tribulation, it's called. What happens after that? The battle of Armageddon. And the Lord Jesus returns. That's his second coming. And he lands back on the earth at the Mount of Olives. The place he left, he comes back. And then what? The thousand-year millennial reign, which is Jesus keeping his promise to the nation of Israel that he would rule and reign from the throne of David in Jerusalem. He's going to do that for a thousand years. And then what? The great white throne judgment. And that is for the unbelievers. And what happens after that judgment? 
for those who stand before Jesus at that judgment, they will be judged, and then what? We don't want to say it. What? What? They're cast into the lake of fire. Do you believe that? We've got to be like Noah, and we've got to tell people that. We've got to warn people. This Jesus thing is not just some add-on. We talked about that last week. It's not a stop at the toppings bar. Jesus is going to save you from hell. Do you understand that? We're playing around with stuff here. Some of you are playing around. You're playing around with your soul. You have yet to confess Jesus with your mouth. And you're playing around with fire, literally. Come on. I'm warning you. I'm lovingly warning you. Would it help if I begged? Give your life to Jesus before it's too late. That's what Enoch said. That's what Noah said for decades. Judgment's coming. Jesus said it was. You know, there are actually people today that say they don't believe in Noah. They think it's all allegory. They think it's a metaphor and that there was not a global flood. Oh, really? Did you know that Jesus believed in Noah? Did you know that Jesus believed in the flood? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus in his teaching on the Mount of Olives called the Olivet Discourse said this in verse 37. For as were, this is Jesus' words, were the days of Noah, Jesus believed in Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's his favorite title for himself. For as in those days before the flood, he believed in the flood, they were eating and drinking, carrying on, marrying, giving in marriage like nothing was going to happen until the day when Noah entered the ark. And who shut the door on the ark? God did. And it was too late then. But had they not been warned? For decades! Just like God, isn't it? He is our good, good Father. And in His mercy, in His grace, and in His compassion, He warns, warns, warns before He levies judgment. But He will have to levy judgment upon those who reject His Son. He has to. To be a good judge, a good judge must levy judgment. Judgment falls on those who refuse God's offer of mercy and grace through Jesus, and instead they choose the path of self-confident obstinance. You know, the whole idea of the doctrine of hell bothers a lot of people today. Did you know that the teaching of the doctrine of hell is falling out of favor in a lot of our so-called Christian seminaries? Did you know that? They don't teach it today. Why? Because they don't like it. They say, they, it's almost like they believe that God has some sort of character flaw because there's a hell. That God in His love and His mercy and grace should just kind of overlook it all. Okay, overlook the death of His Son? What more do you want Him to do? Right? And so the doctrine of hell continues to fall out of favor. They say that hell doesn't exist because that wouldn't suit their idea of the God they worship. Might I remind us today, church, that Jesus said more about hell than anybody else in Scripture. In fact, Jesus said cumulatively more about hell than anyone else, all the others combined. Why? Why did Jesus talk so much about hell? Because he doesn't want you to go there. And to prove it, he died to keep you out of there. He took your hell. He took my hell. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, again, that's the favorite title that he had of himself, will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them where? Into the fiery furnace. That's the lake of fire. 
And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, our good, good father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. And Noah heard and listened. Are you listening today? Or are you being like those people in Noah's day and that refused to listen? And you might look at me and call me a fool. And somebody that you're very near and dear to, that you trust and believe in. You might be a young person sitting here today. And somebody has said to you, yeah, I know you go to Mount Pleasant, but Kevin Brown, he's a fool. You don't need to listen to him. I'm not telling you to listen to me. I'm telling you to listen to God. Listen to his word. Noah heard and listened. I know some that say, well, if God were truly loving, he wouldn't have made hell. But he didn't make hell for us. Who was hell for? The devil and his angels, right? So what happened? Sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and it changed everything. And that, that always happens with sin. I was thinking about sin. What is sin? Missing the mark. You know, think of bow and arrow. The mark is the, you know, the bullseye, and sin is missing the mark. You know what sin is? I can give you the shortest definition in the world of sin. Two words. You ready? Here's the definition of sin. I will. Shortest definition of sin. I will. I will. I will do it my way. I will. And one day, those people will be standing at the great white throne judgment and absolutely blown away that God could send them to hell. But the truth is, God didn't send them. They send themselves there when they say, I will. Because in essence, what they have said to God is, Get out! Get out of my life! Okay? God says, fine. Fine. Have it your way. And they'll say, I will, as they cascade into the lake of fire. It's a horrible thought, isn't it? I know it's not popular, but the account of Noah is an account of deliverance from judgment. That's what Noah is all about. John described that. John the apostle in 1 John 4. Listen, listen to what deliverance is. In this, 1 John 4, 9, the love of God was made manifest or made known to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, no, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation of our sins. That's a fancy word for payment. Jesus made my payment. Does that ever happen to you that you're at a restaurant and somebody pays your bill? Isn't that cool when that happens? And you look around going, who was that? Who do you think did that, honey? I don't know. That happens occasionally. That's, isn't that a neat thing when that happens? You don't have to look around and wonder who paid your sin debt. Jesus did. He did it. He paid your debt so that you wouldn't have to pay it with your life. I know some people don't like talking about hell. I get that. No, it's not a character flaw of God that he created hell. That was for the devil and his angels. But it's for people who choose to reject Jesus. That's what you get. Can I say it this way? Hell amends God's glory because in hell, sin will be judged for the horrid, blasphemous wickedness that it is. Oh, it is a blessing that sin will be judged and destroyed for all eternity in hell, removed from our presence forever. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that I will not be in heaven after ever wonder again if I'm going to sin or be dogged by sin. Committed any new sins this week? Any new sins from anyone? Any sin that you've committed this week that's brand new? Any new ones? Raise your hand. Anyone? Any new sin? Same stuff, isn't it? Same stuff. Same stuff, right? Same stuff. Same stuff. And it dogs us. It dogs us. All of our lives. Oh, and to be free of that. God is good. He's our good, good father to get rid of all of that and have a place to send it. The lake of fire. Oh, glory to God. Hell is the amen that sin is gone. But when I say that, and then when you say that to somebody, that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, people struggle with that. You know why? Because in order to be saved, 
you must realize that you're what? A sinner. See, for there to be good news, you've got to tell somebody the bad news. Never happened to you, somebody comes to you, I got good news and bad news. What do you always want to hear first? The bad news, get it out of the way. The bad news is there's a place called hell. The good news is, is Jesus Christ came to deliver you from it. Come on, don't focus on the bad news, focus on the good news. Jesus came and he died for you. Will you receive him by faith? That's the second part of verse 7. See it? Hebrews 11, 7, second part. By this, Noah condemned the world. By what? Building that ark. And he became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world. What does that mean? It means that every time, listen, every time that he whacked through a tree and that thing goes timber, and the ground shook and reverberated under the feet of the people, they'd go, there's that fool again. He's been cutting down trees for decades, and now this thing's halfway built. What a moron. See, and after a period of time, people will no longer tolerate the truth. In fact, they will look at you and me when we tell them the truth, not in a condescending way, not looking down our noses, but lovingly and kindly warning them as we're supposed to. They will finally get upset with you to the point that so often they get nasty. And all you're doing is trying to warn them. They look at us like we're crazy. They look at us as the fool. Like imagine them walking by Noah building this massive thing. You know, you're a moron, and I am sick and tired of hearing this. You've been talking about this for decades. Can you imagine him standing on the logs? He's preaching. A flood is coming. They're tired of hearing about this flood. They've been hearing about this flood for decades. They're sick and tired of hearing it. And he condemned the world. See, when you and I stand for truth in darkness, people hate the light. They will hate you. And it, it doesn't matter if it's family. It doesn't matter. It, close friendships can be lost because eventually they get to the place they can't stand you anymore. They, they've placated you. They, they've they've kind of gone along with this deal for a while, and finally they just get to the place they're nasty. You've got to be able to deal with that. Got to be able to deal with that. Noah kept swinging the axe. He was undeterred. No, don't get nasty back. Don't get in the mud with them. You just keep sharing the truth in love. <laughs> I know people still look at me. They're totally surprised when I tell them that I'm following God. And they just can't believe. They cannot believe that I'm doing that. It's like they look at me and they go, what is wrong with you? And you know what? I want to look back at them and go, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Isn't it true? You got both sides looking at each other like, what? It, it makes so much sense to me. I've given my life to Jesus. He's changed my life. I just want to look at people. What is wrong with you? But those who are lost and still walking in darkness, who have yet to see the light, they look at you and go, what is wrong with you? By the way, what happened to those people that Noah had preached to for decades and decades and decades? Yeah. It came, didn't it? Judgment upon the unbelievers. Bible scholars tell us that most likely, in order for Noah and his three sons to build that boat, that he would have had to hire helpers. I'm sure there were people that would be willing to take money to work in something they didn't even believe in. And I thought about standing up here to illustrate this and holler and scream and carry on, but I decided not to. And just let you use your imagination and try to imagine what it sounded like outside of that ark as people were dying, hollering and screaming. That's judgment, and it's coming again. Can I ask you something? How does your life look to the unbeliever? Are you being a Noah? I know it's not easy. Hey, Dad, on Father's Day, are you being a Noah? 
Are you being a Noah? Are you orchestrating your life to get them on the ark? It's so easy to get focused on the, the things that are temporal, the things that are temporary, the things that are now. The Bible says to set our minds and our affections on things where? Next week, right? Vacation, promotion, graduation. No, set your affections, set your minds on things above. This is not home, people. <laughs> We're just pilgrims traveling through this deal. This is a hotel stop on the way to our destination. We're decorating the hotel room. How dumb is that? I mean, could you imagine, say, driving to Oklahoma and stopping in Tennessee and just decorating the hotel room in Nashville? You stop at a Hampton Inn and you call up the local flooring company and the plumbing company and you start changing everything out. And the owner of the Hampton Inn comes, what the heck are you doing? And you say, I'm fixing up my hotel room. Where are you headed? I'm headed to Oklahoma. When are you leaving? In the morning. You're out of your mind. This is a hotel room, people. That's all this is. Eternity. Store up for yourselves, not treasures on earth where moths, moths and rust destroy, but store up your, for yourself treasures in heaven. Church, if our lives do not offer a contrast to the world, then we're failing Jesus. You know what Jesus said we're to do? He said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Imagine Noah standing on that hill of logs. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. You've got to keep getting on the logs. But stand up, and your light gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so here we are. We're right back to the beginning. Good works. Righteous living. It would have meant nothing if Noah said a flood is coming and he didn't start cutting down trees. One final thought. Do you remember what Noah used to seal the ark? What he used to seal the ark up with? Flex seal, right? <laughs> No, what? Pitch. You remember this? God told him in Genesis 6, 14, he said, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, we have no idea what gopher wood is. It's not like oak. It's not like birch. It's not like maple. It doesn't exist any longer. We don't even know what it is. Make rooms in the ark. Oh, that reminds me of Jesus. In my Father's house are many He's preparing a place, just like Noah prepared a place. And you're to cover it in, whoa, cover it inside and out with pitch? Yes. See, we think of him only covering the outside with pitch. He covered it on the inside too. Why? Just to make sure there's no leaks, because the boat doesn't work well that leaks. He covered it inside and out with pitch. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think I looked up that Hebrew word pitch? Who thinks I looked it up? Oh, yes, you know me well. I was curious. What does that word mean? You know what? Here, here's the word. Listen, here's the word. The word in Hebrew is this, kofer. It's spelled exactly like gopher, but spelled K-O-P-H-E-R, and it's pronounced kofer. You know what it means? It literally means atonement. The word pitch means atonement. It means to cover. It literally means to buy as a ransom. You say, that's still not making sense. Let me, let me go further. Leviticus 17.11 records this same word. Take a look at this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Oh, okay, we're going somewhere. Blood. And I have given it for you on the altar. What? The blood to make Cofair, atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes pitch, atonement, cofair by the life. Now think about this with me. Noah put cofair, pitch, on the inside and outside of the ark. Now, if you were with us during our Wednesday night series, Genesis is History, I described to you the size of the ark. 
We don't have time to go into all that again. Go to the website, go online, get the app. You can listen to that series. Genesis is history. But here's what I want to remind you of. That ark had over 1.4, close to 1.4 million cubic feet of space. Three decks. Listen, 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. You understand how big that is? That's from here to the end of the cemetery. Okay, think, think that through in your head. 45 feet tall. That's double the size of this roof. Think of that. Three decks in it. 75 feet wide. This thing's massive. And, and for the people that get all messed up, oh, there wouldn't have been room for people on the ark. You couldn't get all the species of animals on the ark. You didn't have to get all the species of the animals. You had to get the kinds on the ark. So what are you talking about? Two dogs gives us all the domestic dogs, right? Also, two dogs in their DNA genetically gives us what else? Coyotes, wolves, dingoes, hyenas. Are you with me? There's plenty of room on the ark for, this, for the kinds of animals to replenish the earth and people. But how many people got on the ark? Eight. How many people outside of Noah's family believed? None. You talk about a wicked and corrupt generation. So what does this have to do with me? That word, kofar, pitch. You know, it literally means blood atonement. Do you know who our ark is? Jesus. Do you see the analogy? Jesus is today's ark to save us from what? Judgment. Just as Noah's ark was pitched, kofar with this black pitch, to save them from judgment, what is our pitch? The blood of Jesus. So that when Jesus died on the cross, by faith and I receive him into my life, then God looks at me just as God did when he saw in, in Egypt. He saw the blood on the lintel and the head doorpost, right? And he passed over. The judgment passed over. God looks at me and he sees the cofair of Jesus' blood applied to my life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the cofair of Jesus. Do you see? My life has been pitched with Jesus so that judgment passes and I go to heaven. Isn't that glory? Yes, the account of Noah demonstrates judgment, but also salvation because those eight got off the ark just as God said they would. And one day we'll be delivered to heaven, just as God says we will. I want to close by asking you to stand. Would you do that? Now, don't get ready to leave. We're not leaving. I just want you to stand with me. Take your Bible, whatever. Don't, don't gather up stuff. Just put it behind you on your chair. I want to do something different. I've asked Pastor Brad to come, and he's going to begin playing Good, Good Father. It's not a coincidence, dads, that we're here on Father's Day talking about a man who built an ark to save the whole, no, 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 to save his house, to save his household. I want to ask you to do something. I want the entire church, everybody, to step forward and walk this way toward the altar. Go. Come on. Come on. Everybody, everybody, if you can walk, come this way. If you can't walk, I get it. No problem. Don't kneel, just stand. Keep coming, keep coming. I feel like Billy Graham, won't you come? <laughs> we have literature for you. Listen, dads, once you get here, even if you're stuck in the aisles, here's what I want the dads to do. Dads, I want you to wrap your arms as best you can around your families. Now, you're going to have to look around, men. There may be some people around here that they're by themselves. It may be a lady by herself. I don't want to single anybody out, but I'm just saying, look around and maybe pull them in. Just adopt them in. We're all the family of God, okay? Pull them in. Pull them in. And dads, we're going to pray. Dad, I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I just kind of, I kind of lose the understanding of what my real job is. My real job is to get them on the ark. That's my real job. Yes, I want them to have a good education. Yes, I want them to have a good life. Yes, I want them to be able to do wonderful things in this life. But we are decorating hotel rooms. Okay? What matters is heaven. So, Dad, do you need to change your life a little bit? 
Do you need to become a bit more intentional about changing the way things are done in your home so that you can point to Jesus? You can't do everything. You, you've got to prioritize. And so that's what we hope to be able to do here in just a moment. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Listen, you're still outside of the family. You're still outside of the ark. And I lovingly warn you, and I will be back there underneath that blue guest information sign. I'm back there to talk to you. Come back there and talk to me. Do not walk out of this place and not know Jesus because you're not safe. And if, and if something happens to you, I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but listen, we're, we're not promised a tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. I pray you'll come. Okay? We're going to pray. Dad, you got your arms around your family. I did this in the first service. My family is here in the first service. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father in heaven, you as our good, good Father, you look down and you see into this room and you see us, Lord. You see these men and we all feel incapable, but we're making it too monumental. All we got to do is swing the axe. <laughs> My grandma made sandwiches and she sang to me. It's, it's not hard. We're just there for them. We talk to them. We cover them up with a blanket when they're afraid. We give them a piece of gum and talk about you. Lord Jesus, impact men's lives today. Grandpas, papas, papas. Impact men's lives who've come to a place and they say, I've done too many wrong things. I've strayed so far away. I, I can't do this. <laughs> yes, you can. The axe is right beside of your feet. Just pick up the axe and just sling it into the tree. Just start again. It's just, it begins today. Don't think about the past. You're not too far gone. It's not too late. You still have breath in your lungs. Pick up the axe. Pick up the axe and lead lead. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the ability to do the supernatural because you change us and you make all things new. I pray on this Father's Day that you'll use us, use us dads. I want to be a better dad, Father, better, a better papa. I want, to be, I want to be a man that leads and that there'll be multitudes of generations, if you tear your coming, that will look back and though I'm nothing, but just by the accumulation of time, people might look and say, that guy invested. He invested in what was important. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus so that we might apply the kofair, the pitch, his blood to our lives. Thank you for your presence here. Take us from this place now and send us out to be light to stand on our pile of logs, not in judgment. We don't look down our noses. We're not putting a finger in somebody's face, but to lovingly say, judgment's coming, and Jesus came to deliver you from it. He loves you that much. Lord, help us to go do that, to be light on a hill. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.